Welcome into the NHL at the Ring podcast. Dan Rosen here, Sean Rourke out there. And Sean, phase three is open. Training camps are underway. Guys are on the ice. Full team practices. News is flowing in. NHL.com is filled up. This is a good time in the NHL world right now. It's been absolute chaos, and I love it. Like, you know, it, it seriously was from going from almost zero neutral to 100 miles per hour, right? Each day for the last three days, we've had, you know, 14 stories, uh, a bunch of buzz entries. Twitter is twirling around like a casino, uh, like a jackpot there. What, what am I trying to say? Uh, um, I'm not even sure, but just keep going. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, and uh, it's been great. You're getting teams back on the ice now, and you're seeing, by the way, it just hit, hit on me. You meant slot machine right you had to have mean, meant slot machine right it, it did not hit on you it hit on our producer bob ben oh, come on he i had to you. fake it out i can fake it out nobody sees that nobody sees the chat that we have internally here come on i can fake it out and take credit for that you, you cannot take credit for me. something you did not do dan didn't your mother teach you anything <laughs> well you're right our producer bob bender sent us a note slot machine because we couldn't think of what a slot machine is that's not old good. age is tough man Anyway, look, teams are on the ice, as, we're, as we mentioned, and I, I think a lot of them have come back with a lot of belief. And maybe the belief is bolstered because everybody's in the same boat right now. Nobody's played in four months, and, and they're all coming back and trying to find their games again. And I was at the Rangers practice on Monday and on Tuesday. I got to tell you, Sean, I was thoroughly impressed with the pace, the energy, uh, the amount of physicality that I saw, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know that crisp is a word I would use right now because they're still a little rusty in that sense, but guys were going, they, they, and then on Wednesday, I wasn't there, but they had a 40 minute scrimmage and David Quinn was saying he thought it was going to get real sloppy at the end of the 40 minutes and it didn't. And guys just kept going. So these guys have come back in terrific shape as expected, but that pace is really high. And I'm wondering, can they keep it up for the course of this two week training camp? Yeah, I think they can, and I don't know that they will. I'm, I'm curious to see if some teams kind of dial it back a little bit and, and then try and rev it back up when they get, when they get to the qualifiers. I, I think some teams, that, you know, the round-robin teams are in a little bit of a different uh, scenario, and the teams like Boston and Philadelphia and the Blues and those teams, they can kind of ramp it up a little more slowly, take their time. They have the three games that don't really count, plus the exhibition games, so they have some time to get to their game. Some of these other teams – but look, you talk about teams being confident, and, and I – who's not confident, right? Like, yeah. why are you showing up? Why are you making all these sacrifices if you're not confident that you can win? And, and it's a whole new ball game. You know, I, I think nobody knows what's going to happen in these hub cities. We're going to have Kevin, Kevin Weeks on in a little bit as our guest. He's going to talk a little bit about this, a ton of other interesting things. Um, but, you know, I, I think everybody's going to be confident. I think, you know, you talked about the Rangers in their scrimmage to me, the one that's completely blown me away is what they're doing in Toronto, right? They're, they're playing a, a best of five scrimmage. It's not even a best of five because they're going to play all five, but they're treating it as a best of five bragging rights team, team Anderson against team Marner. I mean, I mean, team Matthews and, um, the first day they used referees and linesmen, they had to put that to bed because everybody didn't have the opportunity to do the same thing. So let's make it a fair playing field for everybody. But, they're doing it top two lines against bottom two lines. They're, they're mimicking game situations. And a lot of what shocked me is a lot of teams have gotten into scrimmages 
in day two, some in day one. You don't see that in a traditional training camp. I think there was a lot of belief in coaches that the players would take care of themselves in phase two, and they could literally mimic the last week of training camp, what would be a normal training camp to get ready for, for this season to restart. Oh, yeah. Well, this is not training camp. That's what David Quinn, the Rangers coach, said on day one on Monday. It's not because your traditional training camp features, you know, 60 to 65 players at this point, you know, two or three sheets of ice, uh, group settings where veterans are in a group with OHL players and who have no chance of making the team. But they're, you know, they're they're in on the on the camp before going back to junior, things like that. This isn't that this is so much different. But it does mimic the last week of camp. Yeah, there's maybe the two, last week, but there's, there's the two last... guys that can maybe make the team. You know, there's a Nick Robertson right. in Toronto or, you know, a Liam Foodie in, in Columbus who could push onto that team. So this is exactly what it's like. It's like the last week of training camp. And, and thinking about it, how awesome would it be if somehow we could figure out like the Super Bowl to when the season ends to have this two-week period where everybody can get healthy and practice and then start <laughs> the playoffs. It would be amazing. It would be amazing. You know what, though? The difference is, is that that last week of training camp, which we get in, in late September, early October, that's a ramp up to the regular season, to what is a full ramp up to the playoffs. This is a ramp up to the main event, which makes it so different. But you touched on the Leafs and what they're doing, and we'll talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs, as you said, with Kevin Weeks, our guest, when we get to him, um, and a number of other topics as well. Lots on goaltending, too, uh, with Weeks, the, obviously a former goalie, but it's so fascinating to me, and I'm surprised I've heard more about this from other teams, what they are doing, what Sheldon Keefe's idea there is in Toronto, and you brought it up. You have the top two lines on one side and the bottom two lines on the other side, and they're doing it so they can mimic exactly what their roles will be in a game situation. So the Matthews line or the Tavares line, they have to be pushing to score, whereas the Kerfoot line – you know, that, that line in Toronto has to be playing more of a grind type of game to try to shut down and not worry so much about offense. But you know what happened in the first game of their first scrimmage? The Kerfoot line, the bottom two, two lines, won six to five in that first scrimmage. So it shows you that those guys are going to push for offense too. I really think that is an interesting way of going about this because you can't otherwise mimic game-like situations for what they are actually going to face come August 1st. It's impossible to do, but you can play, you can mimic the roles that you're going to have to play, and that's what Toronto's doing. You give your goalies a fight and chance. Look, if, if you talk to anybody that's played goal at that level, anybody that's studied, studied goalies at that level, training camp and practice are probably the worst things in the world for goalies. Mm-hmm. They're facing two-on-ones, two-on-os, three-on-twos. They're cheating to try and make saves because nobody, nobody wants to get embarrassed even in practice. They're professionals. They're competitive. And, and you let the offensive guys go, and it, it just – it messes with goalies' heads. It messes with their fundamentals. Now, at least you're in game situations where goalies can kind of look and say, okay, this is how I'd play that. This is how I'd play this screen. I think that's a huge part of it is playing screens, rebounds, having bodies. You know, you can work on all the fundamentals you want, and then you get a six foot five defenseman and a six foot three power forward within six inches of your crease, and you're trying to find the puck. <laughs> you can't do that with dummies or anything no. during practice. Like, that's the, those are the little minor things that goalies are going to need that defensemen are going to need how am I going to move this forward you know you can skate all you want but you need to get that hockey muscle back that hockey memory of when I when I push a guy with my stick this way this is what's going to happen and build that strength up so for a lot of teams it's getting right back into that hockey mentality and not as much of a skill mentality 
but not for some players that we expect and, and guys who are, are big name guys who could create big storylines. There's a couple of them who are, uh, you know, as the term is now unfit to play, right? David Pasternak with the Boston Bruins uh, got on the ice on Wednesday, but not on Thursday and was ruled unfit to play by coach Bruce Cassidy, Corey Crawford, uh, first three days that we know of so far at the time we're recording this Thursday morning, unfit to play. Marc-Andre Fleury, same type of deal. We don't know what that really means. That's part of the privacy that the NHL and the NHLPA negotiated that we're not going to reveal the injuries so it doesn't you know, lead to, okay, you know, w- is this a positive test or is this an upper body injury? We're just going to leave it alone and leave the players have their privacy with that. So we don't necessarily know what these guys are dealing with, but what we do know is being deemed unfit to play right now with a ramp up of only two weeks to get to the to the main event. That is a not not good for any of these teams that are dealing with these types of situations, especially with big time players like David Pasternak and Corey Crawford and Mark Andre Fleury. No, it's not. And look, the intrigue we'd normally get around playoffs and injuries and coaches trying to hide what it is and, you know, the old mysterious upper body, lower body injury and everything else. I mean, that's just ramped up at this point. And, um, you know, so the the intrigue, look, the Corey Crawford story has been one of the top stories on NHL.com since Monday, just yeah. because of the uniqueness of it and the fact that it's unfit to play. Nobody knows what the issue is. So, um, but, and again, we're talking a little bit about this with Kevin, but what a can of worms that opens in Chicago, right? They're playing the Edmonton Oilers. They're the 12th seed. And now you might have to go with a backup in Malkin Subban and, and try and figure that out. So, um, you know, I, I think we wait till next week before you really get nervous. There's been, you know, I, I think that Peter DeBoer said yesterday that, you know, he expects Mark Andre on the ice by the weekend. And, and fortunately they have a pretty good backup in Robin Lehner who might even overtake that job. He might not even be the backup. He's good right. enough to do that. Um, but clearly, I mean, David Postnock, you don't replace him on a team like the Bruins, but they have a little bit of a longer window as we just talked about with the round Robin that, that week of games where they don't really need to play him. So um, certainly I think that's going to be one of the main storylines of week two is going to be who's healthy, who's all the way back from injury. That's the other thing. We forgot about Steven Stamkos. Hasn't yeah, played yet. He skated one. between right. practices. Lower body injury. We know that they announced that before the moratorium went on, not announcing injuries. Um, and he's been skating between practices. But when do they get him back? So a lot of injury intrigue in the next 10 days, I think. Yeah. And before we get to Kevin, we'll get to him uh, soon. I did want to bring up one other topic here. And, you know, we touched on it that the players are, you know, the the speed is terrific in practice right now and the pace is great. And maybe the coaches will have to slow it down a little bit and then try to pick it up. But, uh, and Rod Brendamore brought this up yesterday when he did his Zoom call uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes, said, you're going to get to probably day five or day six, maybe day seven of this. So the weekend, And guys are going to be like, all right, let's go. I'm ready to go. And they're not going to get a chance to go. And that's why I'm curious what week two is going to be like for some of these teams, uh, for a lot of these players who, when we talk about a traditional training camp, they get into it and they get going. And then three or four days in, they're playing an exhibition game, right? So they're getting an opportunity to have a game day experience at least some of them, they're not going to get that opportunity until the end of the month. And we're at July 16th. Now I am curious to see 
you know, how long it can go with the focus that these guys are going to have and need through the course of this two-week camp before they actually get to, to, to hit somebody else, basically. Yeah, I think you're going to see two things. I think you're going to see a lot of special teams work, and I think next week you're going to see a lot of coaches implementing specifics to their opponents, yeah. what they want to do, you know, what Columbus wants to do to counter Toronto's power play. And, you know, we talked about Toronto and some of the things they're doing. I'm pretty sure today, Vancouver, Thursday, they're doing game day. They're showing yeah, up is, at that's 10, correct. Yeah, 10.30 that's correct. in the morning Pacific time. Going to have a morning skate, going to do their availabilities, going to go back home. Then they're going to come back to the rink and they're going to play a 7 o'clock scrimmage. And, you know, that's that's trying to get body clocks back into that routine of every second day you know, doing that. And to me, that's the other thing that's going to be really crucial once you get in the bubble is, is how do you manage? You're playing every other day, no travel. So all these things that you've accepted for years of, you know, morning skates, no morning skates, do we practice the day off? All those things, they're all going to change now because your circumstances are different. And I think you're going to see there's 24 teams in this. I think you're going to see probably 15 different approaches. Yeah, no question. And it's interesting Vancouver is doing that. And just taking a quick look at their schedule, they, they will have that opportunity for, for game day because uh, I think they play at 7 or 7.30 in the first two games against Minnesota. 7.30 and 7.45 uh, Pacific time for their first two games against the Minnesota Wild. So that is routine for them, uh, maybe a half an hour or 45 minutes pushback. But we have teased it enough, so let's get to it. He is from the NHL Network, a former National Hockey League goalie. He's Kevin Weeks. We were able to chat with him about a number of topics, including goaltenders, the Leafs, Corey Crawford, all of it. So here's that interview with Kevin Weeks. Kevin, thanks for jumping on with us, man. How's everything going? You you excited? You, you We got some hockey back going on here. We got some practices. We got news. You excited now? Yeah, certainly getting there. It's ramping up, but everything's good, man. Fortunately, everybody's healthy and safe. That's the most important thing in these wild times. But aside from that, yeah, starting to, to – uh, get a little bit more excited with the resumption of the practices and, and guys being at the rigs and, you know, just, it seems, it seems a lot closer than it was. That's for sure. Beyond the framework, a lot of it's coming to fruition right now. So, so that's great to see. And you're right. There has been a lot of news, a lot of interesting things still happening. And you knew that once that seal broke, then uh, everybody, even the teams that aren't in the return to play plan right now, per se, they have business to take care of as well. So it's been a very interesting time. But uh, at least now we're starting to get some excitement and some juice back for sure. Kevin, I would love to spend a lot of time just talking about what's happened in the interim for you. It was such an interesting time for you and kind of how we reported the news and everything we did. But with so much going on, I think we need to get right into what's happening. And to me, the most interesting thing from the first three days is the, is the amount of goalie controversy we're going to have in the next two weeks and, and who's going to play goal for a lot of teams, including, you know, a two-time Stanley Cup winner in, in Pittsburgh in Matt Murray, who might not be the starter. As someone who knows goaltending well and was a goalie yourself, what is this period like for these guys? Well, there's a lot of uncertainty, that's for sure. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty just simply because they hold the keys to so much of the success for teams. And with that, you know, they had been playing and guys were in a rhythm. They were established. Uh, let's say Pittsburgh, for example, coming down the stretch, Matt, Matt Murray looked like himself. He was back in form. He was patient again, technically sound. He was playing exceptionally well. We know Jari was great all year and certainly had a great start. Was an NHL All-Star this year. So in the case of a Matt Murray, you know, he, he really hit his stride coming down the stretch for them. And from everybody I talked to in Pittsburgh, you know, everybody's echoed that. Uh, 
I think smart money says Matt Murray will start, as you just pointed out, especially with him being a two-time cup champ. But they certainly have depth at that position. I mean, another intriguing situation is what happens in Columbus. You know, Corpus is off to an amazing start. He was an all-star as well. And then Elvis Merzlikens hit his stride, and he was money for them. So John Tortorella, he as well has a lot of uh, options to weigh. And then here in New York, for example, the Rangers. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen. Just Jerkin had an amazing season to this point. Hank's played well at points this season, as in Henrik Lundqvist. Georgiev's played well, but Henrik has the most playoff experience of the trio and the only one really with NHL playoff experience. So I think, really, guys, this is a function of, of some teams doing a great job of developing at that position and having a good goalie development model within their organizations. And the Pittsburgh Penguins have done that. If you look at that succession from Marc-Andre Fleury specifically to Matt Murray to Tristan Jari, don't forget Casey DeSmith, once you develop those assets and you have them, it gives you a lot of flexibility and a lot of depth at the position. That's what we're seeing right now. You know, Kevin, you brought up Henrik Lundqvist. I don't know a player or a former player around the league who knows him better than you do. And um, I wonder if you're in the position that the Rangers are in right now, how do you weigh his success against the Hurricanes versus the success that we saw Igor Shesterkin have as soon as he came up uh, and made his NHL debut on January 7th. Lundqvist has been great his entire career, including this season, against the Carolina Hurricanes, but Shesterkin certainly is the future of the Rangers goaltending right now. So how do you weigh that if, if you're the Rangers right now? You know, I'm not saying this based on my friendship with Hank or, you know, us having played together. Just objectively speaking, it's hard to overlook as much experience as Henrik's had. And, you know, I've seen him play. I've seen them both play up close this year. But I've seen games this year where Henrik has still played exceptionally well. But they have an eye towards the future and understand that. And time marches on, and I understand that. But in what now will require 19 games for a team like the Rangers as a play-in team to win the Stanley Cup, I think ultimately it's going to take two goalies for them at some point. That being said, as per what you just mentioned, and beyond that, the, the experience – having played in Stanley Cup final and playoffs and everything else, I'd roll with Hank right now, right out of the gate. I would. He's been skating back in Sweden. I know that Shesterkin was skating too. Jorgev evidently was skating too. But I'd roll with Hank right off the hop. I'd roll with him game one. Say, all right, hey, that's it. you're going game one. And I'd see where it leads me. But in a short series, you know, to your point, if he's able to come in there and play the way he's capable and what we've seen from him, you know, almost his entire career, but certainly against the Canes this year, I think that that's the distinct advantage. And that's no knock to Shesterkin because I've been a big advocate of his as well. I think the Rangers are holding, you know, pocket aces in every pocket. <laughs> and if Georgiev went into play, I think he'd play well too. It's just so much of a good thing with the Rangers had. So um, that being said, I'd roll out Hanky game one. I would, if it were me and I were Coach Quinn. For, for Hank and for all the goalies, I guess, how long's your leash in a tournament like this? Not very long. I mean, it all depends on your team and which team you are, you know, depending on, on your situation. So all that to say, you know, the teams that do have that depth, Edmonton has depth uh, with Mike Smith and Koskinen, I would imagine, be Smith. You know, Calgary has some depth too with Dave Riddick, who's an all-star this year as a replacement guy, but still an all-star and, uh, and Cam Talbot. You know, Philly is in a great situation because they're young stud who I spoke to the other day. Carter Hart is so good. So this will be his first taste, but they also have the Moose 
and uh, and Brian Elliott behind them. But all that to say, in a three out of five, it's a different series than a four out of seven, just based on the math of the games. So I don't think the leash should be very long at all. You know, I've spoken to several goalie coaches right now around the league. One specifically that was talking about reps and really trying to get as many quality reps in. That was uh, Frank Jean of Tampa, their goalie coach. And he's talking about trying to get in as many reps as possible right now, but quality reps. But he said with Vasilevsky, who's another Vezina Trophy um, candidate again and finalist, he said with the guys in Tampa, he's literally started from the ground up in rebooting them. And what I mean by that is nothing really complex to start. Basic, just crease movement, skating in and around the crease. And he said he's basically started from, you know, chapter one and put the book all back together, but starting with chapter one and trying to get as many quality reps with their goalies as possible. I know he was on the ice with them a lot last week, he said. So uh, that's pretty much the approach from the majority of goalie coaches I've spoken to in terms of how they're going to go about working with their goalies in game-specific, position-specific ways that can help them sharpen up and kind of redefine some of the elements of their game. You know, it's interesting. A team like Tampa, obviously, in those top four teams in each, they have a little bit of that extra time, that extra window uh-huh. of opportunity to get them going. You brought up Columbus before, and that's the team I wanted to go to for the goal because it's such a difficult decision that John Tortorella and Manny Legacy there have to make because – You've got two guys who are about equal and none of them and neither one of them have playoff experience and they're not going to get, you know, I mean, you can try, right, Kev, to, to simulate yeah. game-like situations in practice and whatnot, but it's not game-like situations and you'll play an exhibition game, but that's not what you're going to be facing when they play the Toronto Maple Leafs. So what do you think they go on here? How do, how do you make this decision? And I love that you gave an opinion that it should be Henrik in New York. I wonder if you have a similar type of definitive opinion on who it should be in Columbus. For me, if it's Columbus, I roll out, um, I roll out Mers Leakins. And I'm going to tell you why. I, the same thing, man. You know, I'm an advocate of all these different players. And I love Corpus Allo going back to when he was in the American League. And I, I really think that Yarmo and Columbus through Manny Legacy, you know, if you listen to us on the NHL Network, which a lot of the fans do, I've been singing their praises all year. I mean, really, the last two, three years. And there hasn't been a bigger cheerleader and advocate for what Columbus has done to me. And in saying that, at the goal position, listen, guys, they had Sergei Bobrovsky, full disclosure, my agent Paul Theofanis represents, who's the best goalie in their history. And, you know, Bob's went on. He's going to Florida. He went to Florida now. And they were able to, through succession, like I talked about, have Corpus Allo. Not to mention Corpus Allo was an all-star this year, and then he got banged up with the injury, unfortunately for him. He was great. He was able to return, you know, shortly before the pause and played well. But then you also had Merzlikens, who, as I've said on here, and I had a chance to speak to him, and he joined me on my Instagram live, uh, on my Instagram feed earlier in the pause. He reminds me a lot of Henrik. It's early, but he reminds me a lot of Henrik. He reminds me a lot of Henrik Lundqvist in his style, in his approach to the game, his combination of technical and athleticism, the way he competes on pucks, his size, and his ability to just electrify a team. And he's helped electrify Columbus. He he was a jolt in their arm uh, in a good way. So all that to say, I would give him him the first start. But Manny has been so in tune with these guys. He spent time with them personally. I know from talking to Manny, um, you know, he's golfed with them. He's had social time with them. He's really gotten to know them very well, which has helped make them comfortable 
in, uh, in getting acclimated here in North America, one being a Latvian Swiss uh, in, in Merzlikens and one being a Finn in Corpusala. But they're, they're in a great spot to have two goalies, 25 and under, that young, that good. But I'd start with Merzlikens for those reasons if I were Torts and Manny. He certainly, Elvis certainly doesn't lack for confidence either, which would be huge. But my question is, this is yeah. going to be such a weird experience. Do you think this is this might be the tournament or the, the playoffs that we actually see uh, a platoon, maybe in Columbus? Yeah, I definitely think. I, I think, look, if you've got ninth in general, for the top four that are already in, in the respective conferences, so that eight, those total of eight teams, we're likely to see two goalies even though they're on the road to 16 for the playing teams that are on the road to 19 wins I think we're likely to see two goalies mm -hmm. I think when you factor in the potential for fatigue slash injuries or nicks based on also the result the uh, the pause of play then guys trying to rediscover their touch and their feel in their games per se um, it, it it bears out to me when I when I forecast it that it will definitely take two it takes two in a normal year it will definitely take two this year. I spoke to Jeff Reese during Winter Classic, who's done a great job with Dallas. Ben Bishop having another great year. And Anton Kudobin has been awesome. Like, Anton Kudobin has been great for them. And he told me numerous times this year, he's like, Weeks, I'm telling you, we need to have two. It takes two in this league. It takes two in this league. And I couldn't – sometimes I'd actually say it takes three or four, depending on your team. There might be a third guy that gets in, fellas. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's get real here. You know what I'm saying? Like – it, uh, getting back to Columbus, they've also developed Kivlenics, who played well. I saw him at the Garden this year. He played well for them. You know, the Rangers, we talked about Georgiev. He's not a third guy, per se. He's, he's not in the minors. He's an NHL guy. I like Georgiev a lot. I like Georgie a lot. So he may get in the net. You really don't know. Pittsburgh, what happens if something happens to one of their top two guys? Casey DeSmith has proven that he can play in this league. It's a cap situation for him and a number situation in Pittsburgh that has him in Wilkes-Barre. You know, I didn't want to make this the goaltending interview, but but there are so You're many storylines. But there's keep so many storylines with the goaltending. Yeah, no so I want to. I had to keep. Had to go one more with you at least. Because you <laughs> know the you, you know the Subban family well, and yeah. we don't know what's going to happen with Corey Crawford. You know, at right. the time we're recording this, he hasn't been on the ice yet, unfit to play. Is Malcolm? Sure. If he has to go, is Malcolm prepared? Is Malcolm ready to play in these type of big games if he has to? I haven't spoken to Jimmy Waite in a little bit, but I, who's their goalie coach, but I have spoken to uh, Andy Kyoto, who is the associate goalie coach of the Penguins, but in the offseason back home in Toronto, he works with Malcolm and he works with Jordan Bennington, among others. And, you know, he, Kyoto did an amazing job with, with Bennington as well as St. Louis's goalie coach. But, I mean, as far as offseason, even most recently during the pause, Jordan Bennington was skating with him. And he said that in – his work with Malcolm, he feels like Malcolm's primed and ready to go. He feels like he's in the right space uh, mentally. I mean, Malcolm is, is super talented. He's very gifted physically. He was late to the position. Uh, for a lot of you that are in around my age or older, you remember the name of Rick Tabaracci, who played in the league for a long time. He's in Winnipeg, he played in other stops. But Tabby grew up in, in, in our overall neighborhood back home, and he was older than us. But he didn't turn – to play goalie until he was 13. And Malcolm didn't change to play goalie until he was 13. So there's a lot of catching up to do. A lot of people are going to be like, yeah, well, what's the big deal? Well, the, <laughs> the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, um, 
you know what, as a goalie, you need that anyway. But I think for Malcolm, and keep in mind too, he's playing some catch up from when he had that uh, throat injury too in Providence. So I've noticed that when he gets to play a lot, he plays better. And that's not unique to him. But when you're learning the league and you're coming in, when you get a chance, and unfortunately at times Marc-Andre Fleury was injured when he was in Vegas, and he went in and he played better when he got to play games in succession. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he had that feel. He was starting to get the feel for the league. And then uh, when, you, when you play infrequently as a goalie that's still learning the league, that's very tough to do. That's one thing if you're an older guy and you've been around, do you know. But once you're kind of in that sweet spot age, I think he's 26 now, you need to play. And, you know, you're gonna, it's going to be some trial by fire, man. you got to lick your wounds some nights. But if you want to play in this league a long time, you got to roll out there and get in the net. That was the thing that really helped me the most at that juncture for me. So uh, it's a great opportunity for him. Dan, this is a huge opportunity. Should have presented itself. Um, my thought is it will likely be him and Colin Delia. They also have Kevin Lankinen, who was great for them in Rockford as well. But Delia also has NHL experience. And unless Crow, Corey Crawford, who I love for them, and he's playing really well too. Unless Crow comes back, it looks like it's going to be, I would think, Mal- barring anything unforeseen, Malcolm's net. And these are the moments you live for, Dan. Like, yeah, you know, we, we always get to talking and everything goes around and NHL this, NHL live, NHL 2K, 21K, all these NHLs, all this different thing, your podcast, NHL network, NHL center ice, all the NHL we talk about. It really comes down to this. There's 31 teams in the world. 31. And I say this all the time. It's a planet of north of 7.3 billion people. With all. This is the, one of the most exclusive clubs you'll ever find. And especially for goalies. So these opportunities are very rare. And sometimes when they come, you got to grab them by the throat. And this could be that type of an opportunity for Malcolm right now. And it's a rather simple one, right? He's only got to go up against McDavid, Dreisaitl, <laughs> hey, hey, but listen, hey, you know what? I was around his age, maybe a year older, and we had to go up against the New Jersey Devils, which were arguably the best team on the planet at that time. And you know the success that they had. You know what Marty was doing. You know what you know all the different players in their group were doing. You know the great Lou Lamorello, the architect. Like, sometimes you just got to stare him down and get in there and mow him down. And if you're able to do that, imagine the confidence you you get from that. You know, once you know that you can – that was one of the things. When I played on teams that when I was younger in my career, we'd get peppered 40 shots, 48 shots. But but you know what? I wanted to play well against Brian Leach. I wanted to play well against the Rangers when they were stacked. I wanted to play well against Colorado when they were stacked. And Dallas, you know, Toronto when they had some stacked teams and, you know, the different teams in the league. That's how you grade yourself, Detroit and those teams. Because you know if you can play against those teams and you can put on a good showing, even if you lose 3-2, you know, but you get a game star, you feel good, you play well. The guys come to you, they say, hey, you know, Weeks, you're so-and-so. That was a great game, man. Great job. Those are things you can build off of and they give you confidence for sure. Kevin, the, we can move off the goaltenders for now, but I, I, wanted, I wanted to touch Don't on this. Don't move too far. No, we won't move too far. That's the most important position. We know it. You know, goalies are the best. They're not strange at all. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, uh, on that note, I'm not talking about him ever again. <laughs> uh, the ex- there's a debate about experience, and it actually popped up yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Rod Brendamore brought it up. And yeah. his point was, I don't know how much playoff experience is going to matter that much early in this tournament, especially in that qualifying round, because 
everybody's a rookie in this. No one's been through this right. before. This is all new. Do you, do you see that too? Do you agree? Do you think maybe that what we always look at as playoff experience being such an X factor is not as much of an X factor, at least early on in this? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, Roddy was one of the experienced guys I leaned on when we played in Carolina, him and the great Rod yeah. Francis. Um, and I believe Ronnie will be a Hall of Famer like Ronnie is at some point here too. But in saying that, can you lean on those guys in this type of situation? Sure, in terms of calm on the bench and, you know, maybe pulling a player aside and, and being able to give them some, some valued insight and share that with them. But Roddy's point makes a lot of sense in that the ebbs and flows are going to be different. They'll be there, but they'll be different. The emotional swings will be there, but they'll be different because now you can't say, hey, fellas, you know, we're going into, uh, we're going into Boston. Here's how things play at, at the Garden in Boston. Hey, fellas, we're going into Madison Square Garden. Here's how – like, it's, you can't really lean on that right now because of the two hub cities. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, some of those little nuances aren't necessarily going to be factors the way they typically would be in a regular year, uh, to Roddy's point. And I could certainly – you know, they're fortunate in that they have Mr. Game 7 in the lineup, my former teammate and Justin Williams. So, you know, he's – so zen and so cool but yet still so competitive and so accomplished in, in the playoffs and having won three cups but nonetheless this is a different animal this year and that's why a lot of times I hear a lot of pundits and people say well there might be an asterisk we're not really asterisk <laughs> what like do you know how hard this is gonna be like imagine being on a penalty kill okay and I know this from playing in the imagine being, a lot of times on a penalty kill especially if you're playing at home you get that juice from your crowd a guy, like I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. A guy might, one of your teammates might block a shot. Crowds going nuts. Teammates limping. Think of Gregory Campbell. Yeah. With Boston. Like there's so many of those scenarios. You get a D-man that blocks a shot and then deflects the puck up in the netting. He's dead tired. He's on his stomach. He looks at you and he winks at you in the net. You know, and then the fans are going nuts. Like these are things you can't you can't put a price on. So the fact that that factor won't necessarily be there, man, oh man, is it a change? It's a changer for sure. And if your teams weren't close before, they're going to become really close now. And I really think that the closest knit team that plays a team game that plays for each other and plays for a bigger purpose, but within the collective framework, that's a team that's going to raise a Stanley cup. That's a big part of why St. Louis won the cup last year. That's a big part of why Boston got to the Stanley Cup final last year. You remember how banged up Boston was all season long? Remember the injuries? Remember yeah. seeing them at Winter Classic, going into the locker room, all the injuries they had? It was like a mash unit. And next thing you know, you know, they all bonded together. We know they have a great team, but they were able to mesh together. St. Louis, same thing after being dead last January 1st last year and then marching all the way back off the mat. So I think the closest-knit team is going to have the best chance at winning. Because it, it, you need to lean on each other now more than ever. I have two quick ones, and I don't know if Dan's going to have another one before we let you go, but one's really quick. How many players or what percentage do you think play off of that emotion? You know, you're talking about a guy blocking a shot and the crowd roaring. And, and there's guys that obviously live for that, and that's what they play off. Well, what do you think the percentages of, of guys on a team that kind of thrive on that and maybe missing it? I think everybody's missing it. You know, everybody's missing it. There's no better feeling than – you know, making a glove save at the Bell Center and holding it up there and making sure everybody in the world can see you made that save. Like, <laughs> you can't replicate yeah. that type of juice. 
You know what I mean? Like you, you can't you can't be Patty Kane with the dead with the with the flow, the flow coming out, the hockey hair out of the back of the helmet, best American born player of all time, with all due respect to the great Brian Leach and Mike Medano. But Patty Kane come in and dangle somebody one on three and then, you know, showtime, forehand, backhand, top shelf, twenty two thousand people are going nuts at the United Center. Like you can't buy those moments. You know what I mean? Like Disney can't script those moments. So I think every player, you know, we love our fans. I was speaking to, you know, somebody in an NHL front office yesterday and they kept, just kept echoing our fans, our fans, our fans, our fans, not even their team, like our fans. And that just goes to show you the equity that they hold and the impact that they have on a game. Uh, situation to situation, man, literally play by play, whether the home team, or the visiting team. So that will definitely be missed. I'm curious to see what we're going to do as a league to try to uh, offset that as best as possible to help manufacture that atmosphere uh, in Toronto and in Edmonton and two hub cities. More importantly, everybody wants to know about everybody's favorite team and one that you'll certainly have an opinion on having grown up in the shadow of it. Is this the year for the Maple Leafs? Anything is possible, man. I was just texting with Shani. Um, and I had some talks with Sheldon Keith during this pause, who I played with. I played with both of them. So, listen, the Leafs are an explosive offensive team. Freddie Anderson, as I told Shani and Lou at the time when they got him during the World Cup of Hockey in Toronto, they're in Toronto. I said, you guys got to steal in this guy. Freddie, you know, steady Freddie or FedEx. FedEx, his teammates call him because he always delivers. So <laughs> I think Freddie Anderson is going to be vital to anything they do. Uh, in the in the event that Jack Campbell gets in, he'll play well because he's been really good too. But everything, a lot of it is going to rest on Freddie and how well he plays and how well, he, I mean, he's been so good for them. But the Leafs need to make an adjustment. Kiefer, Sheldon Keefe's been talking about this. Their adjustment comes for me, guys, is are they willing to lock down and are they willing to bang bodies? Because I know Austin Matthews, him and I had a long talk about a month ago me by way of phone, and I know Austin Matthews is one of the best players on the planet, period, hands down. I know that, you know, Willie Nylander's having a really good season. I know that Mitch Marner is one of the best players on the planet. I'm going to go through the personnel. Offensively, they're an offensive team. They can literally electrocute you. I think what also helps them that people haven't talked about is Morgan Riley's healthy, and he's their number one D-man. Are they going to lock down defensively, and are they willing to bang and be physical, not play loosey-goosey? If they play loosey-goosey, especially against Columbus, ask Tampa how that went last year. Go ask Tampa how that went for them last year. Mm -hmm. You want to try to play a shinny pickup game at Chelsea Pierce late night? All right. Good luck, man. We'll see how that goes. No problem. So that's my thing with the Leafs. If they want to play that run-and-gun loosey-goosey game, it's not going to be good to them. If they play within a structure and a commitment through the middle of the ice, especially with Columbus getting Seth Jones back, especially with Zach Wierenski having a monster year for them. Columbus isn't as offensive, and, but they are opportunistic, and they can score. So that'll be the matchup for me. The physicality and the defense of Columbus against the skill and finesse of the Leafs, and the caveat is, are the Leafs willing to, to lock down defensively? Only time will tell, right? You're 100% right, and as expected, you brought the heat, you brought your A game. And we appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me on, boys. Appreciate All you guys, right. man.
Great stuff from Kevin. Definitely thank him for hopping on with us. Good chat. Uh, that man knows his stuff, Sean. Uh, no question about it. How about him coming right out? Hank's the yeah. starter in New York. I love it. Hank's the starter in New York. Elvis is the starter in Columbus. And let's go. I, that's what we want. We want opinion. And, and he's got a definitive opinion about it. Let's see if we have some definitive opinions. Because the other thing that's going on at the same time as phase three opens up and the guy's getting, getting back on the ice and ramping it up, we're getting the finalists for the awards uh, being revealed. And the Ted Lindsay Award what came on Monday. Leon Dreisaitl, Artemi Panarin. I'm sorry, Tuesday. Leon Dreisaitl, Artemi Panarin, and Nathan McKinnon are the finalists. I don't know about you, but I don't have a dis- I, I don't have I, I don't have a difference of opinion here. I think those are the three guys. I, I you may argue that you can toss David Pasternak in there, and that's fine. I'll hear the argument, but Dreisaitl, Panarin, McKinnon to me are the top three guys in the league this year. You can have that opinion. I'm going to toss David Pasternak in. Fine, 40, go ahead. Forty-eight goals. Right? He pretty much drives that team. I, look, they have a great first line. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. He certainly gets some help, but you know he's put up numbers that almost nobody else has put up um, as far as goals go. So you know, I, I would certainly put him there. It's his points per game are the same as you know Panarin. Um, I, you're not going to argue w- with Drysidle, and I'm not going to argue with McKinnon. I, I think those are givens. And then a uh, dark horse. What about an Austin Matthews? 47 goals for a Toronto team that's, you know, kind of middle of the pack team. Um, clearly carried them on their back. Out of all those forwards, he's playing 21 minutes a, a game, which is in, in the Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl um, area. So, you know, those are two guys I think you could enter into that conversation. You could enter him into the conversation, but Artemi Panarin, because it sounds like to me that Panarin would be the guy that you would remove from the conversation based on what you said, uh, yeah. leaving Dreisaitl McKinnon in. Artemi Panarin had 95 points this season playing with Ryan Strom and Jesper Fast. So, I mean, he drove everything about that line. And that's with no disrespect to Ryan Strom, who had a terrific season, and none to Jesper Fast, who's a, who's a, who's a, who's a very good two-way player, but not a top six guy in the league. And Panarin helped him become one. And Strom is arguably a number two, maybe more of a number three center. And, and Panarin was still able to get 95 points with him. So I, I got to keep Panarin in that mix. And then Dreisaitl McKinnon stay in there. The call, What about the Calder? The Calder's the one that I had. I took a little issue because to me, it, it, it's it's Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr and somebody else, right? So it's a two-horse race. The, if they were in Vegas, if we could go to Vegas, the other guy would get a trip to Vegas, but they can't do it. But he would have no chance of winning. The other guy that's in it is Dominic Kubalik. He scored 30 goals in 68 games. And that's no small thing for the Blackhawks, but I thought it was going to be Adam Fox. I really did. I thought Adam Fox from the Rangers was going to be the number three guy in here because you want to, you want to argue with me. No one can argue with me on this one. It's way harder to play defense as a rookie in the league than it is to play wing on a line with Jonathan Taves. Well, that may be true, but let's, you know, think about the number of rookies that have scored 30 goals um, on a team that probably wouldn't have made the playoffs if, if, we had gone to a traditional eight and eight and finished out the season um, and did most of his damage in the second half. He was not, you know, the, the, the quickest of starters um, in playing this year. So, uh, you know, I loved Adam Fox. I saw him play in Traverse city. You know, it's amazing to me. You look at some of these guys that are in Traverse city that are going to have big 
big roles. Fox, Merzlikens was the goalie in Traverse City for yeah. Columbus, and he might be the number one in the playoffs. Nick Robertson, who they're talking about maybe making it in Toronto, all those guys. That, that's how crazy a year it's been. But uh, I, I thought Adam Fox was great, and you know you can you can fiddle around with who that third guy is, and it, it's nice to have that thing to put on your resume and say, oh well, he was top three. You know, maybe you look at it again when you're trying to figure out a guy's Hall of Fame uh, legitimacy or whatever. Um, but it doesn't really matter because McCarr and, and Quinn Hughes are, are one and two. And, and who's your one? It, I was going to ask you the same question. My one's McCarr. Uh, I thought he was the most impactful of the two from start to finish. Power play uh, production was there, too. He had four power play goals, 80 even strength goals. Um, he, he was second to Hughes in points, but he played in 11 fewer games. I thought his role with the Avalanche from the start of the season was high, played a ton of minutes for them, um, and was always an impactful defenseman. And, you, and, and I could say the same things for Quinn Hughes, I think. I just think that McCarr is just that one notch above. And if he had played in the same number of games, he would have had more points. He only had three fewer points in 11 fewer games. And I know it's not – totally about points when you're talking about defensemen, but that is something people do look at. So if you look at the production aspect of what McCarr did versus what Hughes did, I, I think you have to give it to McCarr. Yeah. And, and look again, it's splitting hairs, but I, I personally, I think that McCarr was the better defenseman. I mean, yeah, I think so. At, yeah. We look at so much, we look at points, right? We do the same thing for the, for the Norris trophy. And, you know, is it this guy or is it that guy? And, Oh, he had this many points, but let's not forget defensemen supposed to play defense right yeah. and and you know i just thought that mccarr for the most part was a was a better defenseman um and again it's splitting hairs i mean if you look at the shot attempt numbers quinn's actually a little bit better um than than kale is but on the eye test and and you know i saw both of these guys a lot and our, our good friends in vancouver who we've heard from every time we've done a um, oh. a super 16 yes and where the vancouver guys are left out uh you know it, it's a national talking point on the radio there that day and everything else they will accuse me of having an east coast bias and maybe i should stay up past 10 o'clock um <laughs> but uh i do stay up past 10 o'clock i've seen both of them play a lot and and you know again it, some of it comes to personal preference and and i think both of them are going to be super elite defenseman five years from now and and we'll still be having this conversation but if, if you made me put my vote order down right now and it would be mccarr hughes and you know i think like you i would have went with fox but i i can understand the kubalik yeah i agree mccarr hughes and fox that would have been the way and i do also stay past stay up past 10 o'clock on the east coast and uh watch a lot of the vancouver canucks and the colorado avalanche because they're two of the most fun teams to watch in the league, to be honest with you. And those two guys are great to watch. Uh, so, yeah, the people in Vancouver love it. Uh, we love them, Sean, for promoting our stuff, though, don't we? We do. Hey, look, yeah. any, any publicity is good publicity. And, and controversy is great. Yep, absolutely. Sometimes so there's no sometimes there's no wrong answer. Like I love the passion that fans have. That's what drives the show. That's what drives what yeah. we write. That drives the existence of NHL.com. People are hungry for knowledge. People have opinions. Sometimes there's not a wrong opinion. No, there isn't. Uh, th that's sometimes the there is, debate. and you usually that's, have them. But sometimes no, there's no, no, not. No. Well, that's what makes the barroom debates. That's what we want. <laughs> um, the Masterton and Lady Bing finalists are being announced today, Thursday. Uh, master time. I mean, look, you got Oscar Lindblom, Stephen Johns, Bobby Ryan, you know, a host of possibilities there. 
I though, and you may have an opinion there, but I, I certainly wanted to get to the Vezina, which is going to be announced Friday, the Selkie on Monday, and the Heart on Tuesday. And for me, the Vezina is Connor Hellebuck's award this season. When you look at the ravaging of the Winnipeg Jets defense this season with who they lost, every Truba, Bufflin, uh, we'll go on down the list, right? And yet Connor Hellebuck was there every night, was the biggest difference maker for them, made, a, made what was really an average defense look pretty darn good. Uh, I think Connor Hellebuck is the guy. You can argue Tuka Rask, you can argue Andre Vasilevsky and a few others, Ben Bishop. But with what he had to deal with, Connor Hellebuck is my Vezina Trophy winner. He's great, and he's so competitive. You know, I, I, we had Paul Maurice on the show a couple of weeks ago, you know, and he, he talked about, you know, how he wants to win at everything, how he wants to be the best. And, you know, and certainly that's starting to show. And, and look, for goalies, for any position, there's, there's kind of, you know, and this is another Maurice term, there's a prerequisite for greatness. You, you have to achieve these, these things in order to, become, to be considered great and to become great. And, and I, I think that was a statement that, that Connor made this year, um, you know, for the Winnipeg Jets. Their, their whole defense was remade. Their, their offensively, you know, is kind of in their DNA. Although I will say their defense, their forwards have concentrated on playing a lot more defense this year. I think the remaking of their blue line with the departure of Dustin Bufflin and, and countless others, um, you know, kind of changed the DNA of that team a little bit. I mean, line A's playing defense now. So, yeah. um, you know, I, that certainly helped him. I'm a Tuka Rask guy, and, and he's criminally underrated all the time. You know, he's knocked for his playoff performances. I don't know if you're going to find, at least numbers-wise, a goalie that's been much better than him in the playoffs. Every year, it's, oh, look at look at who they have. They have Char, they have Bergeron, they have this, they have that. Did anybody ever think that maybe part of the reason that those guys are so good is because their goalie's so good and that everybody has the confidence to go and do what they need to do because if they mess up, Tuka's there to kind of clean up their mess. So, so um, I, I'm a big Tuca guy, and I'm not going to make apologies for it. I, I, I think it's I think it's his award. All right, look, we have differing opinions. That's fine. Tuca's great. I'm not going to argue against his candidacy, but I just would give the nod to, to Hellebuck uh, this season. No question. The two others I wanted to get to the Selkie Award first, and then we'll get to the Heart last before we wrap up. I got a mailbag question back in March about this. And before we started recording, I had to go back and look it up. I knew who I picked. I just had to, you know, refresh with why. And as I read over my answer, it just clicked on me again. Sean Couturier is my Selkie Trophy winner this season, Sean. And, and, and there's cases to be made again for Patrice Bergeron and again for Ryan O'Reilly. And, you know, I mean, even a guy like Philip Deneau in Montreal, there's certainly a case to be made for him and others. But Sean Couturier... Led the league in faceoff winning percentage, 59.6. He was third in defensive zone faceoff winning percentage of 59.5. Uh, his shot attempts percentage was 56.1%. Uh, and the Flyers, by the way, are barely above 50%. And he, so he's about 6% above what they are. Uh, he produced two. He played a ton of shorthanded minutes on a penalty kill that was a very good penalty kill. Sean Kateri hasn't won it yet. To me, he has been... Kopitar, Bergeron, Taves, Light, and I think now is his time. Yeah, and look, you're not going to get an argument from me on this one. We're we're in total agreement, and, and you know it's shocking. funny, shocking. It, shocking, it is it is shocking. But you know, look, this is more than any other award. Uh, this is a reputation award. When you look at it and you see players and they dominate in it for 
five, six, seven years. Some of the guys you mentioned, Bergeron, Kopitar, those kind of guys. And I think it's because it takes a while to get on the radar. And then once you get on the radar, you're there for a while, even after you start to slip. Because look, let's face it, defensive forward, not the sexiest of awards and not the easiest to quantify. You know, you really have to work at it and, you know, not only to do it, but to to break it down and to say, hey, that guy's really good at what he does. Um, so I, I think it's a, I think it's a harder award to for a, a large group to reach a consensus on. And I think once players get that reputation, they hold on to it. Maybe, like I said, a couple of years past their sell-by date. In no way am I suggesting that Patrice Bergeron is still not one of the best defensive forwards in the league. I don't know if he's where he was a couple of years ago. Um, I, I think Sean's just entering his prime in, in that area. And the other guy I would put in there, and you mentioned him a little bit, is is Dano. And I thought it was interesting. He was he was on a Zoom call yesterday, and, and he was talking about how, you know, that's his job for this first-round series, this qualifier series, in that he's going to – he's going to be a shutdown guy against the Penguins. So yeah. he's either going to get Crosby or he's going to get Malkin. And these are the kind of matchups that put these kind of guys on the radar. So, you know, I think you might see Deneau's name being a little more uh, pronounced in the years coming if, if he has a good series against the Penguins. Yeah, but that's the problem with the Canadians is they have Philip Deneau who's going to shut down, but who's going to score, right? That's going to be the issue for the Montreal Canadiens. You may be able to shut down one of those two guys, but you're going to be able to score uh, with that series. And, but, um, Two other, I, I said Hart. I forgot Norris, so we got to bring that one up too. And I can go quick on this one. I, I think it's Roman Yossi. Agreed. We're done. We're done. Okay. No John Carlson. Amazing. No. But, but I just Roman think, I think was, Roman was better. It's the all-around defenseman yes. argument I made. Absolutely. Finally, the Hart. We did it with the Lindsay. Uh, I'm a big believer in Dreisaitl, McKinnon, and Panarin. I have Leon Dreisaitl. The production was through the roof, 110 points in 70 games. I can't ignore that. I know he's got Connor McDavid on his team, but Leon Dreisaitl was the best player in the National Hockey League this season. Well, he may have been, but it's the MVP we were talking about. He, he, he was the MVP of the National Hockey League this season, I think. I think he was then. I think he was the best player in the National Hockey League. I think Nathan McKinnon was MVP of the NHL. I, I just think he helped Colorado a lot more when Rantanen was hurt and when they were trying to find their way. Um, I, you know, Drysaddle had McDavid all year, and and he was basically playing in a shadow. I know he outperformed him points wise, but when guys line up, who are they trying to stop first? Right, they're trying to stop Connor McDavid. He's the guy, so they're trying to stop. McKinnon and they couldn't so to me he's the MVP okay look at I left Dan speechless you might have just now, changed my now opinion. that is an accomplishment that we oh, should uh, probably end the podcast on we will and you may have just changed my opinion like so uh, you have to have an open mind right you have to have an open mind with these things and exactly what you just said the clarity with which you said it which shocked me uh I think you may have just changed my opinion so that is a good spot to end on for you that's like a swish and you know, you're leaving the court like Larry Bird. That's like a that's like a dunk, dude. That was like an MJ dunk. <laughs> well, there you go. So there you have it. We'll thank Kevin Weeks for jumping on with us today. Sean, this was great. We'll be back at it again next week. Uh, more news, right, Sean? Are you excited? More news, and we'll be getting hopefully getting uh, the Hub Cities after that, August first. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I could use a little breather from all the news we've gotten in the first four days, but I'm not going to complain. Yeah, no breather coming until mid-October, maybe. Uh, thanks for listening, and everybody stay safe out there.